Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Ebenezer family and friends, and welcome to our online service today. We are going to conclude our Equip You mini-series, and I hope and trust that these last seven weeks have helped you process some of the questions that have been on your mind and given you some resources to use as you talk with your friends. If you are new to us today or you've missed some of the messages on our Equip You series, I'd really like to encourage you to take the time to go and watch them online. We've interviewed some top-notch scholars and practitioners and they brought some excellent biblical insights into this crazy and challenging time. We began our series first by addressing the two most common God questions that people tend to ask in times of crisis, before looking at some better God questions that we should all be asking. Next, we looked at some of the legitimate life questions that many people are forced to deal with during these challenging times. And at the core of all these questions was the bigger question, can we trust God to keep His word? And if so, how can we live according to the promises of God? Then over the last couple of weeks, we've taken some time to consider some of the the spiritual and mission questions that we should be asking, and it should be on our minds today. So today I'm going to wrap up our series by simply telling you the story of Jesus. And as as I do, there are a couple questions that I want you to think about and answer. The first question is this. Who is Jesus? And the second question is, why does that matter? Why does it matter who he is? And what does the story of Jesus mean for me and for us today? Now, the reason I want to tell you the story of Jesus is because it is his story, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and all the other apostles and disciples proclaimed everywhere they went. It was the story of Jesus that turned the world upside down in a good way, not the upside down that we're seeing on the news right now. The story of Jesus is the gospel. The first four books of the New Testament are called the gospels, originally just a singular, the gospel, because they tell the story of Jesus. Now, if you're not familiar with the story of Jesus, you need to know it's part of a grander story. It's part of God's story, which has been unfolding since the beginning of time, and now which includes us. And Jesus is the centerpiece of that story. And he's the critical hinge point for humanity and all of creation. The entire Old Testament looked forward to and pointed to Jesus coming to earth as the Messiah. And the entire New Testament looks back on his life and as a central figure in a cosmic battle between two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven. This is not my language. This is the language of the Bible. And the ancient world acknowledged these two kingdoms and clearly understood the nature of this spiritual battle. And whenever nations went to war, they they viewed them not as a battle between flesh and blood, but as a battle between their gods. And the Bible records several epic showdowns between the God of this world and the God of heaven. For example, the great story of Israel's exodus from Egypt was a showdown between the God of Israel and the gods of Egypt. When Moses asked Pharaoh to let God's people go, Pharaoh's response was, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? 
And so God proceeded to answer Pharaoh's question by displaying his great power through ten plagues, saying with each display of power, by this you will know that I am the Lord. Another epic showdown occurred on Mount Carmel between the God of Israel and the God of Baal. We read in, in 1 uh, Kings 18 that Elijah stood before the people of God and said these words. He said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now many of you know, know the story. The challenge was to build an altar to their God and whichever God answered by fire would be the true God. The prophets of Baal cried out to their God, who happened to be the God of the sun and the Lord of fire, all day long, but nothing. When it was finally Elijah's turn, he had the people douse his altar with water before he stepped forward and prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, so that these people will know that, that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then it says that fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil, and also looked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. In the New Testament, we also see the reality of these two kingdoms and their battle over the hearts and minds of humankind. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this age, meaning Satan, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, that the gospel displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Later, in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, he says, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. I received an email this past week with the opening words uh, being this, my heart and my head are breaking for the events that are happening around us. I can relate. I turn on the news and I'm heartbroken by the depth of depravity I'm witnessing on all sides. I'm overwhelmed by all the conspiracy theories going around that promote and fuel distrust in all forms of leadership. I'm in shock over the racial discord we are witnessing in Minneapolis right now and the disturbing and evil actions on every side. I read, about, uh, the sex I read about the sexual exploitation of women and children, and I'm reminded of the deep depravity of humankind. Every story of someone losing hope and ending their life, as we heard about this past week in our local community, every thought that enters your mind or my mind that says we're, aren't, we are, we're not good enough or that we're not loved or that we have no value, every negative or lustful or hateful thought we have proves that we are in the midst of a cosmic battle warring over humankind. Jesus spoke of this battle in his teaching, describing his adversary like a thief who wants to destroy and rob us of what is good. In contrast, Jesus came to bring life to humanity, and not just any life, but abundant, full life. That's what Jesus said in John 10:10. 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. You see, God's plan has always been to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness. Paul in Colossians 1 says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, which is the kingdom of light. 
This brings us back to Jesus and his story and why knowing his story changes everything. The book of Mark begins with these words. He says, this is the good news or the gospel about Jesus. And then he gives six word descriptions of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Later in verse 14, we read, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. Well, what was God's good news? It was that the time promised by God had come at last, that the kingdom of God was near. This was promised by God. And the Jews knew exactly what God promised, that this was a direct reference to a promised future kingdom ruled by a descendant of King David that would be established on earth and exist for all eternity. Now, the Jews were expecting a political kingdom with a human king that would rescue them from their Roman oppressors. But the good news that Jesus was announcing was about a spiritual kingdom and the arrival of the promised Messiah or king who had come to defeat the kingdom of darkness and bring the reign and rule of God back to earth. The gospel as recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of Jesus and demonstrate that he really was the promised Messiah with the full authority of God over all things, proving that he really was the king of heaven. The story of Jesus is the gospel. And this is the gospel that Peter and Paul and the other apostles preached. In the, the book of Acts, Peter shares the gospel on two occasions. The first is on the day of Pentecost to a Jewish audience. Many of you will know the story. Uh, the dejected disciples were waiting in the upper room for the promised Holy Spirit to come. And come he did, with a wind so powerful and so loud that the Jews from every nation who had gathered to celebrate one of Israel's feasts came to see what had happened. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stood up and explained what had just happened by telling them the story of Jesus. And this is what he said in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God, by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. With this proclamation by Peter, it was like a light went on in his Jewish audience's mind as they came to the realization that Jesus is Lord. When the people heard this, it says they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Understanding the story of Jesus prompted an immediate response in their lives. And Peter replied to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It says that those accepted this message were baptized that day, and about 3,000 people were added to their number. This was not just a prayer of salvation. This was a prayer of submission that Jesus was king. The second time Peter shared the gospel was in Acts chapter 10, but this time to a group of non-Jews at the house of Cornelius in the town of Caesarea. 
Again, many of you will know this story, but for those who don't, let me fill in some of the details because the circumstances around this event were also supernaturally orchestrated by God. The Bible tells us that one afternoon, a God-fearing army officer named Cornelius had a vision. And in his vision, an angel instructed him to send some of his men to Joppa, a town about 63 kilometers away, to look for Simon the Tanner's house and ask for a man named Peter and bring him back to Caesarea. A little cultural context here. First, Jews believed they had been exclusively chosen by God, which gave them a special elevated status over other ethnicities. And second, Cornelius was a Gentile or a non-Jew, and at that time it was against the Jewish law for a Jew like Peter to associate with or visit non-Jews, which meant that God had to do a work in Peter's heart first. And so just before the men arrive, Peter received a vision from God while he was praying. And in his vision, he saw the heavens open and something like a large sheet fall to the earth, filled with all sorts of animals that were not kosher for a Jew to eat. This happened three times. And each time, Peter was told to kill and eat. And each time, he refused. And each time, there's a voice that says, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. While he was still trying to figure out what this dream meant, the men sent, uh, the men sent by Cornelius arrived at the house. And God told Peter to go with them because he had sent them. So Peter took the day journey and arrived back to a full house of Gentiles. And the first thing he did was come to the God-ordained revelation that the gospel is for all. He says in verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The second thing he did after coming to this realization is to tell the story of Jesus in verses 38 to 43, of how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. He says in verse 39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach the, to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him re receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Both these stories and Paul's gospel presentation in 1 Corinthians 15 center on the story of Jesus, and specifically four parts of it. That he came and he lived a perfect life, that God became flesh and dwelt among us, fully God and fully man. That he died. He died an, died an unjust death at the hands of sinners and was buried. That he was raised from the dead. That God overturned death and raised him from the dead. That he ascended to heaven and is seated now at the right hand of the Father, ruling as king of heaven and waiting to come back to rule as king of the earth. So what does the story of Jesus tell us? Well, it tells us a few things. It tells us that Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension prove that he really was and is the promised Messiah. 
the Lord of all, the King of God's kingdom. And that, to me, really is the good news. In fact, it's the great news that we no longer have to live under the abusive and destructive rule of the God of this world any longer. It means that, that now, uh, if we're not happy with how the God of this world is running our lives, we can change kings. We can enter into this good, life-giving kingdom of God. And that's the good news about Jesus Christ, that Jesus proved that he was who he said he was, that he is the Messiah, the King of Kings. And the good news is really about the kingdom that has come near, that we can have life in this new kingdom, this good life. Because the kingdom of darkness simply wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. But the kingdom of God wants to bring us life and have it to the full. And as I think about that, as I think about all of this, all that's happening around us right now, I can't help but think, who wouldn't want this new king? Honestly, like, who would not want to be part of this kingdom? And so that's the invitation for us. The invitation is for you to recognize that Jesus is king. The invitation is for you to, to move out of the kingdom you're in, under the ruler you're under, and, and turn yourself over, submit to this king called King Jesus. And when we do, he comes into our life. He redeems us. He forgives us of our sin. He restores us. He renews us. He changes us from the inside out. And he helps us to be different people. So I want to invite you to be part of God's kingdom and to say no to the king of the world, of this world, and say yes to the king of heaven in the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray. So Father, thank you for this day that we could know you. Thank you for your kingdom that's so powerful. And God, I pray that you would guide us as we think about this in our own lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now to close off our series, just have one story we're going to share. Uh, with me today is going to be Jessica Parsons, and she is going to share her story of faith. And so enjoy as you listen in. So joining me today is Jessica Parson. Uh, she's a 23-year-old university student and a former university uh, track and field athlete. And she has recently graduated with a kinesiology degree and is now in the process of completing her education degree. And so, and Jessica's been active in the church for how many years now, Jessica? Three, four, somewhere. Okay, about three or four, okay. So uh, Jessica, when we spoke earlier this week, you told me about your early faith foundations as a child. And it's a story that I, I think a lot of our viewing audience will be able to identify with. So can you, can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I, uh, I grew up in a small town on a big farm uh, where my family had, we had a faith, believed in God, went to church um, with all the other farmers on Sunday. Um, and it was just, it was something that you did because it was something you were supposed to do. Um, mm -hmm. And I do have fond memories of, of that and of getting in the car after church and singing hymns and um, just being pumped about the idea of God. Um, but as we got older, started working more, um, got busy with hockey and so on and such forth um 
church wasn't wasn't at the top of the priority list um and so yeah didn't didn't go as much we went a little bit um went on christmas eve but uh it wasn't definitely a priority and it wasn't um something that was really discussed in in our home um but i i did i grew up knowing about god i grew up appreciating the holiness of god um but I just didn't didn't quite get the full picture as a as a young buck. Okay, so as a young buck, you told <laughs> me a story. Uh, yeah, yeah. As a, you told me the story of of a time you had an existential uh, crisis as a young girl. Why don't you tell us about that? That was that was a neat story. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I grew up on a farm, uh, and I. I had some really, really, I still have some really hardworking parents. Um, and so that was modeled for me from a very young age. Uh, my first pair of, of work boots was about, about that big. Um, so I just, I grew up working. I started picking rocks as soon as I started walking. Um, and we did have time to play, but we, we spent a lot more time working than um, I always would have liked. And so, um, yeah, I just remember a few times kind of just laying on the floor, exhausted from the day and just thinking, I'm not having a good time here. Like, I don't, I don't really want to spend my whole life picking rocks and picking weeds. Um, and so, yeah, I just remember laying there and thinking like, there's gotta be more there. There's no way that life is picking rocks and then dying. Um, and so, yeah, I just remember having the sense of there's, there's gotta be something. It's not just 80 years of picking rocks. Um, and yeah. so. Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with you for sure about that. And let me, let me ask you what reignited this interest in, in God and spiritual things. Yeah, so I ended up going to a Christian school for my grade 11 and 12. Um, it was the first time I'd ever moved anywhere. I'd been born pretty close to my farm and just kind of stayed there. So it was a new experience. Um, I went there just for more academic challenge. Um, and I cared less about the fact that it was a Christian school. Um, but when I got there, I realized that it wasn't um, just going to be about academics and that uh, they spent a lot of time talking about God. Um, but my experience in my first year was probably more, more negative in that aspect as mm -hmm. I, um, I got to know people and I, I learned some things and just got to watch a lot of people. Um, and my little girl existential crisis kind of came back up and I, I spent a lot of time doing schoolwork um, and just pushing myself really hard because I had gone to this new school and I needed to do well because I had this opportunity that not many people from a small town farm background get. Mm. Um, and I was kind of just same thing not not having a great time <laughs> uh, just slugging away at school and 
just thinking there's got to be more than just this. Um, and the people around me were talking about God and talking about Jesus and saying that this was what was more. Um, but then a lot of the people that I interacted with, I saw them and um, I just didn't see, I didn't see the way that they were living and the way that they were acting, act, um, matching up with, with what they were telling me, which was um, very frustrating and very, very mm. hurtful in that time. Uh, and I remember just thinking, like, you say, you say all these things about God and you say that you believe in God and that you're living for God, but your life makes it look like you're lying. Um, oh. And I just, yeah, that was, that, was, that was tough for me there. Okay, so now I know some of your story, though, but I know you have a deep faith in God now. So, so what... what uh, um, help that change like what did God do or what did he use to help you have a stronger faith in him and belief in him yeah so um, I guess I grew up I grew up with a lot of strong and silent types um, and we did a lot less talking and a lot more doing and a lot more working so that's something that I grew up valuing um, and so when I was at the school in my in my first year I um, got to know a family well more so they kind of got to know me um, and brought me in um, and before they ever spoke anything about trying to push me into the gospel or go further with talking about Jesus they just lived like Jesus mm. and they lived out the gospel. And after having experiences where I saw that not happening, uh, that was super impactful for me because like, I got, I got to see it in you. Um, and in that time, that's, that was kind of the only way that I was ready to receive the gospel is if I saw it first um, and I saw it authentically because I I really that was something that mm. um, I value as a, as a person before that, that's that's a really challenging statement but I, I think the truth is is a lot of people would say the same thing is that our, our words alone do not declare the truth of what the gospel is it's that our lives have to match that up and so uh, kudos on this family obviously they had a huge impact on you um, and I hope they're listening today that they can actually kind of hear that. Uh, so, so now, Jessica, just to wrap up, how would you now describe your relationship with Jesus? I think Jesus is so cool. Like I, as someone who studies pedagogy, which is the art of teaching, I love thinking about how how artful Jesus was at teaching um, and how often his teaching wasn't accompanied by, um, by words first. And so my relationship with Jesus, like I, I'm striving to get to know him um, because I want to represent him well in the way that I in the way that I walk, in the way that I work, in the way that I study, 
um, and hopefully in the future in the way that I teach. Uh, so, uh, so Jessica, then uh, I know that you value when people's um, actions um, communicate the truth of their words. So how has God changed you so that your actions speak louder than your words? Yeah, so I guess one thing that that really hurt me um, back at school was all of these cliches or these kind of swerving around answers to the questions that I, I really, really desperately wanted to know the answer. Um, and so I made the commitment when I became a Christian that I was going to, I was going to talk about God in my real voice. Um, and so that's something that I value is just talking about God, like it's not the end of the world to bring them up. Um, and so when people ask me what I did on the weekend, like I went fishing, I did this, I did this, I went to church um, and I learned about this. Or what were you listening to while you were working? Oh, I was listening to a sermon on this. Um, and that has been really impactful because it makes it less weird to talk to people about it when, when you make it less weird to talk to people about it. Um, but yeah, also just, um, I guess I recognize that I spend my time in different places with different people and I have been praying and asking God to give me love for these people that I work with um, and that I study with and that I fish with and he has been abundant in that um, and so when I go to work I try and work hard but I also try to make people feel loved and to get to know them um, and it has been so fruitful I, I have a lot of different workplaces but man the conversations that you can have when you take mm an interest in people um, and just line up your your words with with how you present yourself and how you talk about Jesus. Mm, that's great. Listen, we're really uh, thankful that you're part of our church family and God's blessing on you as you work this summer and as you continue to to live for him so that, that your actions um, match your words and may you continue to be fruitful in your ministry to others. So thank you, Jessica, for being with us today. God bless you. Thanks, Aiden. Well, let me just close today's service with a benediction from Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. And this is what he says. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. And have yourself a great week. Bye-bye. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.